beyond do you have any questions today? Mm. I was just adding the question you were asked the other day about the Buddha receiving help during his practice. There might be occasions where the day was given <coughs> assist by they call um, the four signs that the Buddha or the Bodhisattva before as a Buddha when he left or when he was still in the palace he's just starting to think about leaving the palace to practice he saw the four heavenly messengers that's like an old person, a sick person a corpse in a funeral and then a monk and these were things that he normally wouldn't see living in the palace, his father knew that he had a spiritual side to him and didn't want him to, to go that way, he wanted him to become the next king so he's always trying to prevent him seeing these things and seeing the suffering of life and think about practicing Dhamma to, to get beyond these things. But it may be the day was helping you as he's walking through the town, you get the, uh, the sick person there, the old person there, just maybe having some influence. They call these the heavenly messengers because they're, you know, they're giving him the chance to gain insight into Dhamma. Seeing it a sick person, seeing an old person. I asked it because I remember when I read for Uncle Mom's biography, he seems to have some some helps sometimes. If it's the disciples of the Buddhas, the Sāvaka, then they might well receive uh, teachings and assistance, and maybe in ways that we can't see or, or know because sometimes it's on the level of the mind but they, they can receive, receive assistance from the Buddha so only the Buddha who is a Samasa Buddha self-enlightened through his own efforts doesn't have a teacher sometimes when you wrote the monks he says he's coming for ordination <laughs>
So really the Buddha himself had that complete knowledge that he could just direct his mind to recollect every past life, every past existence he had, however many, whether it's one or two or hundred or a thousand of them, innumerable past lives, he could rem- remember precisely where he was born, where, what, where, in what, what form, what realm, the happiness, the suffering, the difficulties, the successes of each life, he could remember without any um, error in his mind and without any lack of clarity, he could be cl- completely clear, whereas other practitioners maybe there have some skill in this, but probably not on the same level as a Buddha. Some question about how our old karma might be affecting us in this current life. So, Shobhi's asking oh, maybe the fact that she's come to live in Hillsfield, does that mean maybe she's had some connection there, lived there in the past, or come to um, support this monastery, attend this monastery? Maybe this monastery was here in the past and now people are practicing again and this monastery is building up again. Is it possible? Uh, these things are possible. You can see how there can be things can be uh, created and established in the world and rise up. A monastery, say, can be built up in the world. People practice there over maybe many generations. Then maybe it disappears. The, uh, that monastery sort of becomes disused or abandoned and disappears, then a whole different era and people can come back to that same spot maybe and start building a monastery there again. Um, you can see it's quite possible. Generally, wherever we attach to with our mind, say if it's a place like a house or an area or a country, even, you, you attach strongly to that place, then it becomes what we call bawa, it's like a place of becoming, which is, which is this quality that will bring you back to be reborn, perhaps. If one hasn't let go of that attachment, then it will be setting up the causes for rebirth, maybe in that same place and again in, in, in a future life, because one has an attachment, an affiliation, a liking for that place. Um, and we can see that in our, in our own lives, maybe, that we are partic- feel particularly fond of a certain place where you can see, well, if that's the case and that, that attachment becomes very strong, well, maybe it will bring you back in a future life to that same place, meet the same sort of people in that area as possible. As I said, the, you have to always remember that current life is a product of the past. Our past karma has led up to where we are right now, what we've done before, our past actions. And what we're doing now is the cause for uh, future results. It's creating the future. What we do in this very life, this very day, even it's creating the causes for how our future will be, what choices we make, what happens to us in the future, and what we do right now is, is determining that. So the present moment is both the result of the past and it's the course of the future. So if one not practicing the Buddha's teaching, the life will be just like the other yesterday, the never thing, it's all predetermined. There's always choice in the present moment you can choose to make good karma, bad karma, and you can be skillful or unskillful in your behavior in the present moment. That's where where karma is, is being created, how, how you lead your life in the present moment, even though the past is giving its results, but how you act right now, you 
that's, there are many options, aren't there? You can choose to do many things. Um, well, I'm saying that if somebody doesn't know that they had a choice, so they just live their life, and I'll just accept it whatever it is, does it mean that the life, his, uh, the future is predetermined? If somebody's really just kind of drifting along, not really thinking very much about life at all, you would say, well, their mind is being conditioned by ignorance, misunderstanding of truth, delusions, and ignorance, as we know from the Buddhist teachings, always results in the arising of craving, attachment, mm. onto suffering. And that process will be reinforced over and over again, unless they start you know, looking more deeply at what's going on in their mind and the way they relate to the world. That process will just keep being reinforced out of habit. If they're not looking into it, then you know, it, it becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. The habits they have will become more ingrained. What does this word wiriya mean? Wiriya means literally uh, effort, persistent effort, putting persistent effort into what you do, um, putting energy into what you do, and it's very close to this word wayama, wiriya, wayama, more or less the same thing. And this wayama is the word effort, we have sama wayama, right effort. So the Buddha described right effort as the effort to um, bring up wholesome mind states, skillful mind states, and consciously to do that. And then the effort to develop those skillful mind states once developed, once brought up, and to develop them, build on them, uh, maintain them. And then also the effort to prevent unwholesome mind states, unskillful mind states from arising, um, to restrain oneself, to prevent them from arising, and in the case where they've already arisen, it's the effort to abandon them, give them up. Uh, so four aspects of right effort. So, Dhammajan, in the normal equal part, if you have one, let's say you had the right effort, does it mean the other servant also is there? The important factor to talk about the Eightfold Path is the first one, Samaditi, the right view. If you develop right view, then all the other aspects of the path start to emerge out of that. Right livelihood, right action, right effort, right mindfulness. It's the path that makes all of the others right. So it's Samma, right or correct. So if you have a correct view, you know, you develop that through your hearing the teachings, contemplating the teachings, your view of things is correct, then everything stemming from that will become correct. So the actions, your speech, the way you use your mind to develop the qualities of the path, it will be correct, so the whole path will come from right view. Mm -hmm. So with the right view, there are different levels then? just depends on one's uh, strength of one's mind, the strength of one's parami, and it's the beginning point of the path. And the more effort one puts into bringing up right view, correcting one's view, bringing up right view, well, the, other, the rest of the path will come from that, depending how well one maintains one's right view, how strong it is, well, 
you know, it will depend how, how far one goes with the path, with the path factors, how well, well one develops them, you could say. So with this uh, right view, you know, does it come at one point of the time or, you know, it just has to be continuous? You could compare the, cra- the practice a little bit to a kind of contest. So mm-hmm. some aditi arises and it leads on to the other factors of the path coming together and one's developing them. But then there'll be periods where one's energy wanes, one's effort wanes, one's mindfulness wanes, one's winds of wanes, and you might have find the kilesis, the opposite of right view, wrong view, comes back into the mind. And so there might be a struggle to start re-establishing right view, contemplating Dhamma and developing wisdom to gradually bring up the path factors, make them strong again and the places become weak and fade and that sort of process of becoming strong, becoming weak and strong again, well that might go on for a long time until eventually it becomes sustained in the mind and it can't be weakened by anything, all the path factors become sustained, become strong and the mind is able to develop more, the places can't affect it then. But what's the right view? It seems to be so many things. Sometimes it's a emptiness, sometimes it's a poor normal tool. So what actually that right view referring to? Yeah, you're correct. It has many aspects to it. In the heart of the right view is wisdom, panya. But wisdom, you know, it, it's it's can manifest in many ways, in different situations, different aspects of the practice. So, you know, the, the right view in the, the, the way the Buddha taught it, well, right view leads on to right thought, samasankapa, right speech, action, livelihood, and so on. Um, when you're in a situation, you know, you, you have to decide whether to keep a precept or not. Uh, you might have right view arising, or I should not break my precept now, I'll cause myself suffering or someone else suffering. The right view might arise at that time. Or you're meditating, you're contemplating some suffering arise in your mind and you just know, oh, this mood is impermanent, it arises and passes away. Well, that's also right view. They're both different functions of wisdom, but you know, it's like it, it depends on the situation, the, where you are in your path, what the particular issue is that's arising for you in your practice, how your wisdom is going to be used. But it's both all all will be aspects of right view. The important thing is establish right view first. So there is actually no one black and white or one fixed one? It's not sure of your question. Can you rephrase it? Or maybe my translation of the question. <laughs> <laughs> like the wisdom, you know, that uh, let's say you deal with the daily life, it's not uh, like say you have to keep the precept, you know. Uh, literally what it means and all that. You have to use the wisdom in all kinds of situations. That's what I mean, there's no fixed thing, you know, no, no such thing as black and white. You have to do like this. You have to depend on the situation. You understand? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. 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 <laughs> John, could I ask a quick question? Um, in a situation where somebody is in a sense attached to one way of doing things um, and it's not necessarily in their best interest. Um, without invalidating their fears to moving in another direction or seeing things differently, 